from Brooklyn, New York, I'm Adam Teeter. From Connecticut, I'm Erica Ducey. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And before we launch into today's topic, a word from this week's sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Gosling's Rum. The newest addition to the Seal family, Gosling's presents the incredibly drinkable Gold Seal Rum. Take that, Black Seal. An initial sweetness leads to complex caramel flavors and layers of spice, and the finish is dry and smooth. That sounds really good. Mm -hmm. Aged in new American oak, the rum attains a color of rich, burnished gold with a brilliant glow. A blend of continuous and double-pot distilled rums, Gosling's Gold Seal Rum is uncommonly versatile and may be enjoyed straight up, on the rocks, or as a mixer that will enhance any rum cocktail. Mix it with... Gosling Stormy Ginger Beer for a Bermuda Mule. Oh, interesting. For a limited time, use code VINEPAIR at checkout on ReserveBar.com for free shipping on your Gosling's Rum order. Very, very cool. Very All I got to cool. say is Andrew Holmes, Gosling's brand ambassador, former guest on this podcast. Where is my bottle of Gold Seal Rum? Yeah, seriously. I don't have my bottle either. I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> I'm, not going, I'm not going anywhere. I need some rum. Seriously. Uh, so how, how's everybody doing on this? Uh, I'm, I'm going on vacation. So you guys are gonna do the podcast oh. without me next oh, week. Yeah. Um, but how are you guys doing? Good. I'm ready for a rum cocktail. It is hot, <laughs> hot, hot. It's gross, right? Oh, you know what's really funny? I had a conversation with someone today that was like, Adam, love the podcast. Just one comment. You guys talk about the weather a lot at the beginning. Of the show. <laughs> that's because we're fucking old. What do you guys want? We're... we're Ugh, I was <laughs> like, that's really funny. And then without telling you guys that happened, <laughs> Erica talked about the weather. <laughs> I, I will tell you it's uh, sunny and 70 degrees in Seattle today. So, you you know, you, New York can kiss my ass. It is Fine. muggy and disgusting here. Just yuck. Ugh. Does it, Adam, does your, does your entire neighborhood smell like garbage? I remember that not so fondly. No, because I'm in Brooklyn. So, you know. Well, have you guys uh, drank anything really delicious recently? I've been sticking to my ranch waters. I, I, I have that's to say, it. that's that's what I've been drinking. It's that and some rosés. And yeah, that's pretty much been my landscape for the past couple of weeks. Zach? Uh, I actually, I'm going to say something that close listeners of the podcast are going to be shocked by. I actually have been drinking some Pinot Noir Rosé, uh, <laughs> which has been really delicious. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, a couple of, of uh, Oregon producers. And this also gives me the perfect opportunity to shamelessly plug my upcoming Free Pinot Noir class. Uh, those of you listening, this will be on <laughs> Tuesday. Hey, man. Hey, man. Got to yeah, get the hustle in. life. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sponsored so by Vine Pair. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, Tuesday, August 18th. Uh, for It's about a 45-minute class all, all about Pinot Noir. You can find more information at my website, which is disgorgedwine.com. I will now stop plugging myself, and we can talk more about anything else. I mean, I drank some I drank some good stuff last weekend. I, uh, I had a bottle of Coast that was amazing. Ooh. I love that producer so much from Sicily. Yeah. Um, I had a, their Frappato, and it was like just sick. Um, I got it at this wine bar I love that we've had. We've had them on the the podcast actually, Lalu, because um, I wanted to go and see how they were doing. Now that the city, as of last weekend, they they and a few other um, restaurants on their street petitioned to fully shut down Vanderbilt, uh, which is you know the, the main thoroughfare of uh, Prospect Heights, the neighborhood, the neighborhood in Brooklyn. 
on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And it's really cool, actually, because while I know some people who listen to the podcast and live in New York may be used to seeing, you know, the, the dining in like one parking spot, you know, like if you can, you, the parking spot in front of your restaurant, you're allowed to sort of like build a little platform and put as many chairs and tables that are socially distance acceptable on that platform in that one spot. But now on Vanderbilt, they're allowed to literally spread out throughout the entire thoroughfare. So it's really awesome. It's like you walk down the middle of the street and there's just like tons of tables and restaurants. And like, basically, you know, uh, Dave, one of the owners of Lala was saying to me, it could, it could really help save a lot of these restaurants because a lot of them due to this are now able to be at, at, or even over the capacity they normally would be if they were just indoor dining. Um, And even though it's only three days it's it's the three days of the week obviously that people go out and spend the most money so some restaurants are able to use this to help fuel them now the question becomes you know what happens as it starts to get cold as we talked about before and we'll talk about probably at, at a more length later on as the fall continues but i thought it was super cool and then i got to take this amazing bottle of wine home and drink it uh with naomi and it was just absolutely delicious nice and it seems like the kind of thing where you once we've started doing it societally you go like Wow, this is a lot nicer than just cars going by. It is. Yeah. It's a lot better for the quality of life in the neighborhood, I think. Totally. I mean, look, I understand. Like, you know, he was saying, he's like, look, like a lot of people in the neighborhood who have cars were really pissed um, because they're like, how do I get my, it's so much harder to get my car to my street. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, wouldn't you rather have a place where the entire neighborhood can congregate and be able to be outside? Like there were kids in the street playing together and throwing the football and like, you know, as their parents all sat around drinking great cocktails because Weather Up is also an amazing cocktail bar that's on that block. And like, it was just super cool to watch. And I was like, there's not other places that this can really happen because, you know, once you've decided we're sitting at this restaurant on in this parking space, that's where you are, you know? And this felt much more like a, a community coming together to support the businesses on this thoroughfare and really have a place that everyone could be, whether you were eating and drinking at the, at the spot or not, obviously kids were not drinking the cocktails. Um, so it was, it was super cool. Um, so let's get into today's topic, which I think is really interesting. And that is uh, something that we talked about a little bit on the, on the show before I have some theories. I'm sure you guys do as well. And that is, is there ever going to be, or are we already beginning to see a gin boom in the U S um, so obviously there's people who've been predicting this gin boom for years, and that's based on the fact that there's been a massive gin boom in Europe, right? So apart from Spain, that's, you know, been in love with gin for well over a decade, you're now seeing you know, gin being, you know, wholly embraced in, you know, France, in Italy, uh, in, you know, Greece. Um, you're also seeing obviously gin continuing to be this, this massive, spirit, uh, in, in Great Britain, obviously where, where it's always been very popular, but it's never had as massive a following in um, in the U.S. as I think a lot of people have thought it could be. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start this our our conversation with a very bold statement, and that is I think there I've always believed in a gym boom, but I think it's more likely now than ever, and I think the reason for that is thanks to COVID. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of the reason that a lot of people never truly embraced gin is because they never understood how delicious a truly well-made gin and tonic could be. And that's because so many people around the country have been drinking gin and tonics in which the tonic water has been coming off the gun at a bar. And most of that tonic water is usually pretty garbage. And now that people are home and they're buying their own tonic water and they're making gin and tonics, they're realizing how delicious that drink is. And then I think it's causing them to explore lots of other gins and lots of other gin cocktails. That's my take. 
What do you guys think? Nice. I mean, I I think that that is a good a good assertion. It's also an easy cocktail to make. So as you are thinking of what you're going to be sipping, it's just it's it's so easy. Like this this uh, winter, I was drinking a lot of martinis. I was exploring different martini recipes and playing with variations, and then that just spilled over into the gin and tonics of summer. And I've tried all sorts of different tonic waters, all sorts of different gins. That some of them are savory. Some of the tonic waters have like a Mediterranean in. Influence. So I think there's so much variety. Um, but I think that, you know, we as uh, journalists have been saying for years, like, gin is a thing, gin is happening, it's finally happening. Nope, this year it's happening. Nope, the next year is happening. But I think finally, uh, we actually are starting to see that traction. So um, if you look at Nielsen data over a you know, year, a couple year period, you do see this upward trajectory. Just in the last uh, 12 weeks, gin sales has been up 37%. So it, to put that in context, that, that's a little bit lower than tequila, which has been on a massive tear, but it, it's also higher than bourbon or Irish whiskey or rum or vodka. Um, and so gin, I think we're finally starting to see that it really is moving uh, up in people's minds and that people are probably using them most most often in a gin and tonic. So I'm glad to see that it's it seems like it's actually happening. Yeah. So I think the one of the interesting pieces of this is that pre-COVID in the sort of landscape where where gin was maybe on the come, but no one really kind of knew how that was going to happen. The, the problem was there was a real divergence between the sort of gin cocktail as, uh, you know, like a gin and tonic or, or, or even a martini where the gin in and of itself is really the centerpiece and where the thing that could hold it back as a drink is, you know, crappy tonic water, shitty vermouth, someone who doesn't know what they're doing, etc. And that is on one side of the gin equation. And then the other side is a whole host of really delicious, interesting cocktails, Negronis, uh, you know, Last Words, all this stuff that rely on gin, but are not really designed to showcase gin as much as integrate it into a much more complex whole. And in that area, Gin has made huge strides in cocktail programs around the world in the United States and other places, but but in but sort of weirdly in my you know both professional experience and also just you know experience as a consumer, the gin that's used in a lot of those drinks is as long as it's of decent quality, it's almost better the less obtrusive it is. And so you had this weird split where you had you know a, a cocktail in form, whether it's again like I said the gin and tonic or the martini, where an expressive, di distinctive, interesting gin really shines, uh, but one that maybe was not being um, enjoyed by a lot of people. And then you have this other format where where a sort of unobtrusive, less distinctive gin is maybe more more appreciated, so that the vermouth, the liqueur, etc., can shine through. And I think that you're seeing, you know, despite what we've talked about before on this podcast, you're seeing a lot more people making gin and tonics than making Negronis at home. And so I think, yes, it's given an opportunity for gin to, as the spirit itself, really take the the center stage here. Uh, and I think that is really exciting. And, and I don't expect that to, to walk backwards. What I wonder is, are you going to see those other gin-based cocktails, you know, kick up in popularity in, in, for home bartenders as people just get more comfortable working with gin as a spirit? Well, so that's what I'm curious about. And I mean, I'm deferring to Erica here, our cocktail book author. What other cocktails are out there that, that you think, you know, if you've now embraced the gin and tonic, could be the next big gin cocktail that, that really does showcase how delicious gin is, right? So I, I think Zach is right that 
you know, people will probably make more Negronis and things like that. And maybe now with better gin, but what are some of the other just really classic gin cocktails that should be on people's radars? Uh, I mean, there's, there's so many ways to use gin. One that's my favorite is the bee's knees. So that's kind of a gin sour um, that uses lemon and honey. And it that has kind of a um, back to the classics. It was like made classically around prohibition. And the lemon and honey were used to mask the harsh smell of the bathtub gin. So that's kind of a fun version. Um there's uh, a variety of different ways to use it. Like the last word I would say is one of my favorites that hasn't gotten enough traction. So that's equal parts of gin, chartreuse, maraschino liqueur, and fresh lime. Um, And then that one was actually a cocktail out of Detroit during Prohibition. And it has uh, its lineage back to the Detroit Athletic Club where, you know, all these well-heeled, imbibed, who were the titans of the car industry in Detroit would be at their sort of gala events uh, at the Detroit Athletic Club and they'd slip outside to this little uh, speakeasy out back where um, the last word was being made. So that's one of my favorite variations. Um, One of my favorite cocktails that I think is super underutilized. Um, You know, you can also... um, play with various different gimlets with some, you know, mint, cucumber, and blackberries, these kind of summery highball cocktails. There's so many ways to use gin. It's really versatile. And I would say that, you know, that's one of the things that I think is driving interest in gin right now is that for a long time, you had these traditional London dry gins. It had that profile of coriander and angelica root and citrus and, you know, licorice and, you know, the juniper, of course, but then you moved into a phase where there is so much innovation happening in uh, the spirit space, but with gin in particular. So the botanicals that people are using, the regions that are producing it, you know, the different uh, consumers that are being targeted, it's really dynamic. You've got pink gin, you've got savory gin, you've got gin spiced with all these different botanicals. And the new, uh, this new Western style of gin uh, that we've written about a lot at Vine Pear, I think has really taken off. So, you know, what that means is that the new Western style of uh, gin is less focused on juniper and more focused on other things. So for example, I know that there's a um, gin out of Texas that is focused on lavender, grapefruit, and even has pecans in it, right? There's one out of Japan. It's Suntory's Roku. That is totally a yuzu-driven gin. It's got these, you know, flowers and herbs and botanicals, even tea in it, and a little bit of Sancho pepper. Like, that is a really incredible flavor expression that you would never have found with gin before. So with this explosion of innovation, I think that's one of the key things that's driving this category forward. I want to add a couple of, of cocktails to uh, to Erica's recommendations. Oh, please. I'm sure you I got think, the aviation. No, I'm actually not, although another <laughs> cocktail that I do love. But I was gonna I was gonna kind of offer a couple that I think are maybe 
easier stepping stones for people who are moving away from a gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. So one, I think one great option for people is the French 75. Uh, so that's a, a gin-based cocktail that also usually includes lemon juice and sparkling wine of some sort. Some people will also add a sweetener like simple syrup if you want. Uh, but again, that to me is kind of a nice option for someone who wants the lightness uh, and sort of brightness of a uh, gin and tonic, the sort of summery freshness, but but is going to get you know a, more of a obviously more of a citrus note. Uh, well, I guess depending on how much uh, lime you may add to your gin and tonic, that could that could be a, equivalent. And then uh, a gin fizz, another really classic cocktail. Um, it is traditionally made with an egg white, but you can skip out if you don't want it. Uh, or that's too uh, daunting for you. Uh, but I, but again, a one a cocktail that sort of marries gin and citrus, but is I think showcases the the flavors of the gin you're working with uh, quite nicely. And then and then sorry, just because I'm on my my note of things uh, to to Erica's point about some of these Western uh, styles of gin. I mean, I I want to mention St. George spirits in california because to me they were one of the first producers that i came across uh that were really focused on like we're going to make a gin that we think is really reflective of uh of where we are and they make a sort of a their terroir gin which is really based on uh only local botanicals in the north bay area and it's uh i think really cool it's it's an awesome kind of like example of what gin can be which is this sort of platform to showcase a lot of different flavors as erica mentioned so do you both think then that that's probably the re- that, like part of gin's you know, appeal besides the fact that, you know, the gin tonic is so easy to make. And now that people are finally making it with good tonic, they're realizing it's delicious. Is this local aspect of it that like it really can reflect where it's made in a way that a lot of other products can't. And that's what makes it so interesting to so many people. Well, I think from my perspective, it's, it's really these small distillers who've been significant in the growth of gin. So as craft gin, as this movement has, uh, I think the smartest thing they've done is they've really focused on provenance. They've focused on these authentic brand stories. Um, There are, of course, the big tangerays and so forth out there. But I think when I think about the gin category, and you, you, even when you walk into a store, there are so many craft producers and they all are telling a different story. They're trying to reach different types of consumers. They're leveraging those different flavor profiles. So I think that it's this trend is really timed perfectly with consumers growing interest in authentic brand stories and in experimentation in a pretty simple and easy way. Um, And I think, you know, to add on what we were saying with like simple cocktail variations, I think with all of these new ones, like the, the Japanese focused yuzu driven gins and like these, you know, these other ones that feel very terroir oriented. I think one thing to note is that you don't really necessarily want to be making it in a Negroni because that's not the, the that's not a London dry gin. That's not what that cocktail was created for. The the place to showcase all of these different flavors and um, and different expressions of gin is really in something simple. So either in a gin and tonic, or um, I like the idea of a French seventy five. I also really I like the idea of a Collins. So a Collins is super simple. It's just gin, lemon juice, sugar syrup, and then you can add an additional fl- flavoring. So if you want a little bit of berry a little bit of elderflower cordial, which needs to make a comeback. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then you just top it up with soda, right? So it's a long drink. It's it's just a highball. Um, but these simpler expressions, these simpler cocktail expressions is going to be the best place to highlight those very diverse gins. So it sounds like you both think a, a gin boom is, is going to come. Uh, 
I might be marginally more skeptical. Um, I, Why? I think like, well, so I think here are the two reasons that I, I would say. One is maybe the the gin boom as defined in like the gin and tonic boom, I could buy, I could buy in. I'm still a little skeptical that that the that the average consumer is going to move too far away from that because again, you know, as we started about or started uh, talking about this conversation with. It's such a simple drink, yet yields such great results if you use good gin and good tonic that, I mean, I think a lot of people are happy to stay there. And that's actually fine. And obviously, for a lot of these uh, these uh, gins we're talking about, they're probably, that's that's great. You know, as Erica said, it's a great way to showcase these uh, more terroir or, or sort of provenance-driven gins. It's, um, you know, they're just, it's free, frankly delicious. Gin and tonic is one of my absolute favorite cocktails. And, and that's totally fine. Um, I just... I do kind of wonder if what you're going to see is, is, and I don't know if this fits into the narrative one way or the other, but, but like when I think of the gin boom, I think of the idea that the average person who's, you know, reasonably serious about drinking at home has, you know, four, five, six, seven different gins on hand. And I kind of think that gin is still going to largely exist in the space that, that like say vodka has existed in, where for most people who consume at home, they have a brand that they, turn to or at least one bottle at home at a time and when they drink that they go buy another one not like they might look at whiskey or tequila even or something like that where they're like i have to have a few different bottles on hand because i want different versions of this now i would be happy to be wrong gin is delicious and i would love for there to be more uh more money going in the gin producer direction and less in some other spirits but i think that I'm just skeptical that people are going to see the need for three, four, five, six different gins on their bar shelf at home, um, even in this world where that's the only place you're getting the cocktails for most people. Yeah, and if you do, if you do want some uh, gins that are more versatile, I think we have a massive resource of what the best gins are. So it's just it's called the 30 best gins for every budget 2020. We update this every year. We taste through. Literally, I think we did like over a hundred different gins that we tasted through this year. I mean, I helped. It was up on my Instagram (laughs) and it was so much gin. It was shocking. But we have uh, the best gins under 25, the best gins under 45, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that uh, is a great place to go and find uh, which, you know, you can read the reviews of them. They all have the tasting notes and you can figure out what is the best gin for you. Because I do think it's, it's a great idea to have like maybe one or two bottles. Like right now, uh, I've got two bottles in my house and that's enough that one of them is more savory. One of them has more of a floral botanical uh, sort of profile. And and that's enough really for any type of cocktails that I want to make. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I do think too, like, I mean, the gin boom, I guess, I mean, Zach, I do agree with you that I think it's going to, it probably will just be connected to the gin and tonic, but Hey, I think that's all it needs. Right. I mean, the, the tequila boom is really fuel being fueled by the margarita. If you look at, you know, the explosion of the margarita as a cocktail is pretty much directly in line with the explosion of just tequila in general, right? Like that's mostly how people are consuming tequila. Now some people are obviously branching off and having ranch water like Erica or Palomas or things like that, but it's, it's pretty much the margarita. So if, if it's the gin and tonic that continues to fuel the boom, that's great. Right. I, and I think the, the thing that's really crazy about the gin and tonic that we'll, we'll definitely see within the next few months is probably a lot of canned gin and tonics. Right. I mean, there's, there's gotta be, if it, some of these gin brands have to already probably have them in development, right? Like there's just, there's no way that gin and tonics aren't coming out in cans very soon. Again, because of how delicious the, you know, the cocktail is to most people, how simple it is. And then how, you know, 
easy app that probably is to put a, a pretty high quality tonic into you know a can with with good gin and then you're pretty much done yeah, I know that Green Hook uh, Ginsmiths, they've got one. Uh, we do have an article about the uh, some of the best canned GNTs. I know Cutwater has one. You know, they're they're coming out more and more. And I think whereas they weren't so good uh, in years past, they've really started to nail that what what we like to call the citrus problem. So I right. think that's you know that's the biggest problem with these canned products is nailing the citrus notes, right? Because it's it's so difficult. And we've done multiple articles looking at uh, how you know how you fix flavorings, how you get these natural flavorings, how you incorporate them, how they're shelf stabilized, like all of these the technology that goes into creating a really good lime experience in a canned cocktail is kind of significant. So, um, you know, when we did our tasting, we said that Green Hook Gin Smith's Gin and Tonic was the best one on the market. uh, And this was um, last fall. So uh, if if people have other GNTs that they are excited about, let us know. Yeah, seriously, let me know. Podcast at vinepair.com. And if you got some samples, Send them our way. I'd love to taste. I'd love to taste the can gin and tonic. I know. I know Zach would, but he, he wants his Gosling from first. That's. Uh, I can. I can drink both of them at the same time. Let's be clear. Uh, I have. I have a question for you two about about gin and and gin and the sort of the gin and tonic. I, am I weird for sometimes preferring just a gin and soda? No, I mean that's part way to a Collins. Add a little bit of lemon juice and a bit of simple syrup. Um, no, I think yes. gin and soda is nice. You you think that's weird? I do. Yeah, Adam clearly does. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I think it's like, I, I, I guess what I would say is like, I'm not really sure what I'm going for in that cocktail other than just sort of a longer drink. But I do think that sometimes like with a really nice gin, I actually, I, I don't really, I'm not yet, I love martinis, although I can't really drink them in the summer, weirdly, despite it being a just like a gin-based drink. It's like too... It's too intense for me. I think I agree. Yeah, like, like yeah. I, I I want my martinis in the fall and winter, but but I do like just gin sometimes. But I I'm not. Sometimes I'll just do gin on the rocks. But but I like to kind of lighten it just a touch. Like I don't do that with other spirits very much. But but somehow with gin, I think just like a little bit of soda water um, or tonic certainly. But but sometimes the sweetness in in tonic, even in good tonic, is a little much for me, um, especially with some of these more delicate um, sort of aromatic. Uh, floral styles of gin. I almost kind of want them to be very, you know, to be dry. So I don't know. I just was wondering, like, like I know that is a, like, a gin and soda is like maybe a borderline, like, do I have a problem drink? Because it's, like, <laughs> it's not really that, like, in a way, it's not very pleasurable. Like, there's not a lot of, like, the sort of things that generally no. get us excited about drinking in it. But on the other hand, I really enjoy it sometimes. So whatever. That's my confession here. Hey, man, you got to do you. I mean, I think it's a perfect way to showcase a gin if you're really wanting to appreciate the gin and all the botanicals it's bringing to the table. Like for the for the Roku, for the Yuzu um, gin from Suntory, uh, that's a perfect way. Just to, you want to showcase all these different things that are in it, like these tea and florals and, um, and a little bit of pepper and, you know, anything else is probably going to cover it up a little bit. So I, I would go soda for sure. See, Zach... Erica came to your rescue. You're not a weirdo. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that the person who wrote a cocktail book is like, I mean, she's the authority, but I feel like she's, she was inclined to be on my side. anyhow. So. <laughs> well, guys, it's been a really interesting conversation as always. Um, you know, I hope you have a really fun one next week without me. It probably won't be as good, um, but you know, you'll get through it. I know you'll get through it. Uh, you know, what are you guys, what are you guys going to talk about? Seattle? Oh, no idea. Probably Seattle. <laughs> 
We'll just talk about the weather in Seattle. Exactly. I, 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 everyone, if tune in next week while Erica, <laughs> when Erica and Zach dissect the weather in Seattle. It's going to be riveting. <laughs> We're going well, two hours, folks. Two hours. Well, so, so for everyone else, they'll see you back here next week. I will see everyone in two weeks. Have a nice vacation. Take care. And before we go, a word from our sponsor, Gosling's Rum. The newest addition to the Seal family, Gosling's presents the incredible, drinkable Gold Seal Rum. An initial sweetness leads to complex caramel flavors and layers of spice, and the finish is dry and smooth. Aged in new American oak, the rum attains a color of rich burnished gold with a brilliant glow. A blend of continuous and double pot distilled rums, Gosling's Gold Seal Rum is uncommonly versatile and may be enjoyed straight up, on the rocks, or as a mixer that will enhance any rum cocktail. Mix it with Gosling Stormy Ginger Beer for a Bermuda Mule. And for a limited time, use the code VINEPAIR at checkout on reservebar.com for free shipping on all of your Gosling's Rum purchases. Thanks so much for listening to the VINEPAIR podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and hosted by Zach Jabal, Erica Ducey, and me, Adam Teeter. Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the VinePair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.